0: Good evening. We close the day as we began in the presence of the Lord and hearing His Word. Our scripture reading tonight is found in 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings 22, we are going to read verses 1 through 28. Hear God's word, please. For three years Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep it and we keep quiet. And do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramah Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first of the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord, whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. Now, the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Canaan, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these You shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered, Go up and triumph, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I I make, make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each man, let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him, on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Heha that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And one said one thing, another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, all your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Kenana, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day, when you go into an inner chamber, to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah, and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Josh, Josh, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him with meager rations. Of bread and water. Until I come in peace. And Micaiah said. If you return in peace. The Lord has not spoken by me. And he said. Hear all you peoples. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord this is your infallible word. It is your word and we are your people lord we are here to learn from you will you speak with us will you be merciful to us and will you give us hearts that are willing to receive the truth and shape our lives according to it have mercy we pray in jesus name amen well if you have been following the series on the book of First Kings, you will remember that the people of God was one nation at the beginning. Until the reign of King Rehoboam, Solomon's son. But from that point on, because of the sins of Solomon, the kingdom was divided. From that point we have the kingdom of the north, Israel, and we, we have the kingdom of the south, Judah. And you probably notice as well that the attitude of the kings, and even of the people of the covenant, too often reflects our natural tendency to disconnect what happens in heaven from what happens on earth. They easily forget, the kings forget that their kingship has something that goes beyond themselves it has to do with God's plan of redemption they frequently ignore that what happens on earth is determined in heaven it is determined in heaven so we see a lot of this Kings and of the people of the Covenant living by sight living by sight to impress With the appearances of the world. With worldly alliances. With the worldly kingdom. They are too impressed. With those things. They are deceived. By appearances. Because appearances can be deceiving. If if the only place we look at is the earth. If we only look down, appearances can be deceiving to us. God became too small in the sight of His people. And it is easy to fall into that trap. And so, this message is a call to look beyond appearances. To look up before we look down. And we have divided this message in two headings. Deceiving appearances, first. And second, restoration comes from above. And as we expose this message, we are going to mention a lot of what we have in the parallel narrative in 2 Chronicles 18. That tells the same story. Our first point Deceiving appearances. And the first deceiving appearances that we are going to see are earthly alliances. The prospect of an earthly alliance can seem to be harmless ways to achieve our goals. They can seem to be that. But there are certain relationships that are incompatible with the faith that we profess. Jehoshaphat, we know he was a godly ruler, a religious reformer in his own time. But in this passage, we see him at his lowest. He has made an alliance with an ungodly king, Ahab. As we know, Ahab was the worst king of Israel. Under his rules, God's prophets were murdered. Persecuted, Ahab was ambitious, greedy. The last event that we saw in this book was the death of Naboth. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, had him killed so that Ahab could have his inheritance. And Ahab led the people of Israel into idolatry. They worshipped the Baal, the Baals. Jehoshaphat was aware of this apostasy of the the northern kingdom. True prophets we rebuke him because of his partnership with the wicked king. At this point, there has been three years of peace between Israel and Syria. Now Ahab wants to expand his kingdom. He wants to expand his power. He wants to regain the city Ramoth-Gilead. And our text says that unfortunately, it's, it's in our text, it is Jehoshaphat's initiative to go to King Ahab. The book of Second Chronicles, chapter 18 tells us that Jehoshaphat made a marriage alliance with Ahab. He married his son, Jehoram, to Ahab's daughter. He made a marriage alliance. In those times, those kind of marriage would bring like political advantages or they were expected to bring political advent, uh, advantages. Perhaps a lot of money for the, bride, uh, the bridegroom's family because the bride, the parents of the bride would pay some money to the bridegroom, it was part of the culture. It was part of that. And uh, the city of Ramah Gilead is an, a strategic city, a trade city, a very important city. So perhaps it is at this point it is seeing all that the world offers, all that this political alliance would bring, that. Perhaps it was here that Jehoshaphat was enticed. He was looking down at the world, and he was making dangerous alliances. Edward Welch, who wrote about Christian counseling, he wrote a title, a book titled "When God Is Small and People Are Big," or "When People Are Big and God." is too small and it seems to be what is happening here with Jehoshaphat he is a Christian man he believes in God but at that moment God was too small in his sight and man was magnified he was more impressed with the prospects of this political alliance Then with his zeal with God. And then what we see here is that Jehoshaphat is putting himself under an equal yoke. And I say that because this alliance that he's making is not only a common alliance. When the king of Israel invites him to go to Ramoth Gilead with him, Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? The answer of Jehoshaphat is very strong. He does not only say yes. But he says. You, I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. We saw that morning. This morning. Now, this is a strong language. It reminds us of what Ruth said to Naomi, doesn't it? It's a language of unrestrained commitment. He is identifying with the ungodly king. Well, Paul warns believers against that kind of partnership. Because if you see, as a result of this foolish alliance, he's barely going to escape alive. It is a very dangerous thing to put yourself under unequal yoke. Paul says, For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with the idols? That's a sober warning. We are to love our enemies. We are to do everything in our power that, to see that they will hear the gospel of Jesus. That they will repent But we do not, we cannot say to an unbeliever, I am as you are. We cannot identify ourselves to this point. We cannot say that to those who are not united with Christ. We cannot say that. And uh, young people, marriage is a strong commitment. It's a kind of relationship where you say, I am as you are. My people is your people. My possessions are your possessions. We cannot say that to an unbeliever. That's a very dangerous thing. You're putting yourself in a very dangerous situation. One commentator says that believers have the right and the duty To discriminate between those who hate God and those who love God. And this is exactly what's going on here. Later, later in 2 Chronicles, the prophet Jehu is going to rebuke Jehoshaphat. Should you love those who hate God? Should you make alliance with those? This is a very dangerous thing. We are... Again, we are to to love everyone, even our enemies. But this is a kind of relationship very dangerous. We can be too close with an unbeliever as to share God's punishment to them. We cannot go wherever they want us to go. We cannot share with their desire to fulfill their own lust. They're greedy. Jehoshaphat, perhaps you think that you will be a good influence to that person. I will change him. I will change her. Perhaps Jehoshaphat thought that. He says, let us inquire of the Lord. When the the king is saying about God's prophet, He does not say good things about me. I hate him. Well, Jehoshaphat said, "Let not the king say so." But we see that in the end, it was a Jehoshaphat who was convinced by the ungodly companion, and this is a sober warning for ourselves because. This is too often what happens when we put ourselves under unequal yoke. But our text also shows us that deceiving appearances include false prophecy. The prophets of Baal have been defeated. Elijah has killed them. And he has shown that Baal is not God at all. God is the one who sends fire from heaven, the real God, the real God. But when idolatry, open idolatry fails, Satan changes his strategy. He changes his strategy. His prophets imitate biblical language. They say they are God's messengers. They, they say they speak by the Spirit of God. One commentator says, When the dragon, that is Satan, fails to kill the bride, that is the church, directly, he calls up the beast from the sea and from the land for his assistance. And this is what we see in false prophecy. Isn't it significant that we see so many times in the pastoral letters, God warning us against false prophets. The false prophecy is going to become very common. It's going to become very common. Second Timothy four, verses three and four says, "For the time is coming, when people will not endure sound teaching." But having itchy years, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mess. Into mess. We are told that it's going to increase. We are told that in advance, erra, surrounds himself by prophets. Who will say what he likes to hear? What he likes to hear. He deceives himself. The the false prophets uncritically are determined to please the king. And that is the heart of false prophecy. It is to speak favorably to the ears of the sinner. When Micaiah is called. He is warned. Speak favorably. Speak favorably. To the king. Do what others are doing. This is the heart. Of false prophecy. And this is. The only thing. That false prophecy. Needs to thrive. Hearts. That want to hear. Ears that want to hear. Only that. Which is it. Do not talk about my sin. Do not criticize my way of living. The world will love a kind of preaching. That will not talk about sin at all. That will say nothing about their lifestyle. This is at the heart of false prophecy. To speak favorably the only thing they want to hear is just say that my plans are God just say that God will bless me go up you will triumph that is what they want to hear but if people live in open sin if they live in open rebellion how can the Word of God not confront them how can they not be bothered By God's word. By the faithful preaching of God's word. They will not. They will be bothered by it. Some will just say. This fellow. Faithful preacher. He just has something against me. And it's God's word. Speaking. Against sin. Against sin. But perhaps the most deceiving appearances that we see in this passage is earthly glory. Earthly glory. That makes man really big and God small. If you look at this, the scene here in verse 10, you see these men are on the throne. They are wearing those royal robes and they are making decisions. They are at the gates, the place where there is judgment, the place where the council of war meets. They talk about my people, your people, my horses, your horses. It's like everything is decided by them. As though the council, the decrees, that rule the world. Comes. From earthly thrones. God. Is out of the equation now. And how distracted. It is to look first down. To. Worldly powers. To think that the decrees. That govern history. Comes. From. A presidential house. Comes. From a dictator. In the world. When we are too impressed by that. We might be afraid. And we might be tempted to compromise. Preachers. Ministers. Can be tempted to compromise. Christians. Can be tempted to compromise. When we look. Down. In times like that. In times like this. That we are living. When we see. Men in power acting like God. We should pray. Lord thy kingdom come. Lord thy will be done. In times like that. We need this vision. From above. To be reoriented. And this is our second point. Reorientation comes from above. Look up. To make an alliance Micaiah swore unrestrained allegiance only to God he's not impressed with 400 prophets he's not impressed by those royal robes he's not impressed by that he actually takes his stand against false prophets and against even the king it is not that we should not honor authorities But we know that the limit for that is when they teach us or then when they press us to disobey and dishonor our God. That is when we say no. That is when we take our stand and say no, I will remain faithful. So Micaiah is not impressed. But why is he not impressed? Where is this courage coming from? He can be killed. He is going to be imprisoned. Oh, Micaiah is not afraid. Because before looking down, he looked up. He looked to heaven. He looked to heaven. He was not afraid of the earthly king and his threats because he had seen the king of kings on his throne. Another army. The army. Of God. That is from where the decrees that determine history come from. This is what preachers need to see, to look at. And God is giving us the privilege of seeing here, opening the curtains for us to see that He is on the throne right now. We see like wars and rumors of wars, men. Playing God, etc. God is on the throne. God is on the throne. Everything happens according to the counsel of his good will. As we will see so clearly in this text. So clearly. Keep your eyes up. Micaiah had his eyes on the Lord. He was attentive. To his word. Paul teaches us. In Colossians. Chapter 3. If you. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things. That are above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. On things that are above. Not on things There are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. And we know that God rules the the nations by his son. We learn that from Psalm 2. Don't we? He has put his king on the throne. The king is on a hill. And he governs. He governs. We should focus. This is a call for us. Not to worry too much about what is going on in the world. And worry about the things that are from above. Not to engage too much in materialistic pursuits. Not to be afraid of the determination of the earthly power against our, the Bible. It's becoming very common that nations are passing laws. They are against the laws of God. We should look up not to be afraid and to remain faithful. We should remain faithful. Well, preachers, ministers for for ministers, it's a it's a great encouragement, isn't it? To look up, to know that true prophets, true prophecy, is backed up by heaven. It is backed up by God's providence, as well. Jehoshaphat's half fidelity put his life in danger. Micaiah was pressed to compromise, to speak favorably to the earthly powers. If he did so, he would be fine. If he did not compromise, he could be killed. He was arrested here. He was in prison. Nevertheless, he took God's side. Because God is on the throne. There has never been someone that has taken the stand for God, that has been let down, There has never been someone who trusted in the truth of the Bible that has been put to shame, living in times of great pressure to religion, that we will adjust to the spirit of the age to confirm with the will of men, the culture will be okay with a Christianity that we will not talk about abortion, that will not criticize abortion. The world will be okay with that. Ministers will be well received. Will be welcomed. If they soften their speech. If they twist God's word. To make it more palatable. To the taste of man. To the taste of sinful men. In times like this. we, We should look to a text like this. To see this vision from heaven. That God is on the throne. In times of crisis, we see in the scriptures, in times of crisis, it was common that God revealed himself on the throne that way. We see that in Isaiah 6. Isaiah, in times of political uncertainty, when the king Uzziah died, there he saw God is in the throne. Governments are changing here. But government up there is always God's God. And He is on the throne. He is on the throne. Our passage teaches us that even our God is such a God that even false prophecy, evil spirits, they are not out of His control. They are under the control of God. Westminster Confession of Faith Chapter 3, 1 says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his word, uh, uh, holy counsel of his will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as that by neither is God author of sin, God is not the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. In other words, God has absolute control of everything that comes to pass. Not only the ends, but also the means. In our text, God determines the means by which, by which, Ahab is going to be enticed. It might sound strange to us. It is mind-blowing. It is amazing. It is hard to grasp, but it's God's work. You know, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's thoughts are higher in our thoughts, but you cannot read your Bible for too long without coming across God's sovereignty, it is everywhere. You read Genesis, there you found you find Joseph, his family, his brothers. What they do against him, selling him to foreigners, he meant for evil. But God was sovereign over there, and he meant it for good. He was working. Without staining without contaminating himself with sin. Well, we hear, we read the Bible and we, we see that Pharaoh was a wicked king. He would say, "Who's God that I'll listen to him?" But God was hardening his, hardening his heart. God was hardening his heart. In fact, Paul says that God said to Pharaoh. For this very purpose I have raised you up. That I may show my power in you. And that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In all the earth. God does not stain his hands with sin. But he sovereign over everything that happens. So what do we do when we come to a text like this? So hard to understand. Well, we bow. We bow to God who is on His throne. And we believe His throne. You know, Christianity. in Christianity, we need to understand that God is God. We can understand, like, the basic things for salvation can be known to every man. But there are things that are beyond our grasp. But those are for us also to accept by faith and bow to God. That will be always the need in Christianity, in true Christianity, for us to bow to this God. We cannot understand his will. When Judas betrayed Jesus, it was wicked. It was wicked. He betrayed Jesus. But Jesus says, Well, man goes, the Son of Man goes. Jesus is gone, as it is written, but oh to the man by whom the Son of Man is is betrayed. Paul says that men crucified the Lord of glory. But at the same time, Jesus says of himself, No one take my life from me. I lay it down. I lay it down. Man meant it for evil. The crucifixion was the most injustice act in history. And yet, God made out of that the most beautiful act of justice, the most beautiful act of salvation. By that, he was bruising the head of Satan. He was destroying the works of darkness. This is a God to be feared. Our God, is a God to be feared. He is a God to be feared. Interesting enough, Micaiah's name means who is like Yahweh. Who is like Yahweh, because Micaiah had seen God on his throne, he was confident enough to preach the word of God. Preachers need that so that they will say, Whatever the Lord says, whatever the Lord said, that I will speak, that I will speak. So despite the mocking, despite of the threats of unbelief, the true preacher can say with Micaiah, as the Lord lives, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says, that I will speak. And he says, hear all people. Mark is what." Everything that is written here will come to pass. It has been like this from the beginning. When Genesis 3.15 said that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. He has come. He has come from Nazareth as it was prophesied. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming back to judge the world. It is as though it is a fact right now. Because this word is infallible. It can be trusted. It can be trusted. The preacher can say, mark these words. Mark these words. Please, don't ignore it. Because if you do, you also see fulfillment. But in that day, you'll be high. You'll be hiding with dread of the God whom you should have feared and you did not so please listen Ahab the most wicked king in Israel had so many chances to hear God's word he had so many opportunities to repent he heard two prophecy. Brothers and sisters, it is God's mercy, don't you see, that the wicked Ahab, who sought to kill all the prophets of God, still has a man who is speaking God's word to him. What a gracious act of this man! He can still, and he has privileges that Job himself, a man of God, did not. Job never knew what was coming Before he was struck by Satan. Well God sent lying spirits. To deceive Ahab. But he also told him the truth. He opened the windows of heaven. The windows of heaven. To him. He had lie and truth. Before his eyes. And he chose the lie. It is what happens in the world today and the book the the gospel of john explains it to us that light jesus christ came to the world light came to the world but the world chose what they loved darkness and why because their deeds were evil Do not take god's word for granted if it's not going to save you, it's going to kill you. It is a word to be feared. Take this word seriously. Take it seriously. Let us pray. O Lord God Almighty, all powerful, all knowing. The God who decrees everything that comes to pass. Thank you for the privilege of having your word. Lord, help us not to take for granted that we hear it every Sunday. That we have it easily now on our phones, on, on our houses. It is still the same word coming from heaven. Lord, we praise you because we still have faithful preaching of the word we thank you for the man that you have brought to this church who fear God and who preaches the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone if we look around us Lord how much so easily we can see that there is so much false prophecy there's so much preaching that aims to please the heart of man it is your mercy it is your grace it is our privilege That we have a faithful preaching of your your word. Help us to cling to it. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. We continue our worship. By singing. Number 134.